This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Shevchenko cruises to victory. Mike Perry suffers a badly broken nose. Nate Diaz on who he wants to fight after Anthony Pettis. Tony Ferguson hints at an upcoming fight. Daniel Cormier undecided on retirement. And we are joined by Ian Heinish, who faces Derek Brunson at UFC 241 this weekend. Thanks to those listening live on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa and to the podcast. We do kindly ask that you review the show on iTunes and tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. Joe is not here yet, but he will be here for the second half of the show as we preview UFC 241. A pretty uh, interesting weekend uh, in Uruguay, Montevideo, to be exact. Valentina Shevchenko, in a uh, pretty uneventful main event, cruises to victory over Liz Carmouche. Five rounds, won all five of them, and uh, I had scored it the same way. I wasn't exactly sure what Liz Carmouche's strategy was in that fight. I don't know if it was just to try to slow Shevchenko down with leg kicks. She did shoot for a couple takedowns, was unsuccessful with all of those. So I'm not really sure that she had a great game plan, really. I mean, it didn't seem to slow Shevchenko down at all. She didn't try to initiate the clinch quite, you know, all that much. And everywhere that she went, uh, Shevchenko was able to neutralize her attack. And uh, a, a very, again, pedestrian win for Valentina Shevchenko, who I think is going to dominate this division for some time to come. I just don't see anybody at 125 that can really hang with her right now. You know, there's always the chance that Andrade moves up or like a Tatiana Suarez moves up. But, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of people from 135 right now moving down. I know that Nico Montano has already moved up. And uh, when you, you know, you look at even Nico Montano, she'd probably still be top five in that division. And I think Shevchenko, when they were, you know, scheduled to fight, I think she was like an eight to one favorite over Montano or something along those lines. So not a whole lot of... uh, Opposition that I think will threaten Valentina Shevchenko right now in that flyweight division. And just a, a, an utterly dominant victory. Didn't really show off a whole lot. But uh, I think the most exciting part of that fight was when she got on the mic after the fact and mentioned Amanda Nunez's name. And, you know, she's been asked about Amanda Nunez a lot and says that she thinks that it's inevitable that they fight again and have a trilogy fight. Now, you look back at the first fight, I think it was a pretty clear 29-28 for Amanda Nunez. The second fight, I had Amanda Nunes winning 4-1, you know, 49-46, but a lot of people thought that Shevchenko won that fight and that it was a close fight. Um, so she's down 2 to nothing. I'm not sure how much Nunes has to gain by facing Shevchenko, and uh, it might be one you want to let breathe a little bit. We want to see what Amanda Nunes can still do and what Shevchenko can still do, but, you know, my worry would be that Nunes might retire before they make that fight. I don't know how much longer Nunez wants to do that this for, and I don't know really how much more she has to prove. There's not really an up-and-coming female fighter. You know, Ketlin Vieira was kind of that fighter for some time. I don't know where she is. Has anybody seen Ketlin Vieira anywhere? She's on the milk carton right now. But there isn't really a fighter that Shevchenko hasn't beaten, or sorry, that Nunez rather hasn't beaten, that you look around and say, yeah, I really need to see that fight. I think that the longer that time goes on, the more moment, you know, the more momentum there might be towards that Cyborg rematch if Cyborg doesn't sign somewhere else. And that can only help her uh, case in terms of uh, negotiating power if she does, in fact, want that rematch. And the UFC is, in fact, willing to compensate her for that rematch because that's, that's the whole other side of the story that people aren't really talking about. You know, it takes two to tango. And if Cyborg does want that rematch 
and comes to the UFC and says, listen, I, you know, I'll take a one-fight deal. I really want to fight Amanda Nunes again. The other side of that coin is that the UFC needs to say, well, we're willing to pay you this much, and she's willing to be amenable to those terms. And that might take time. But right now, apparently, she's been given her release from the UFC and is free to sign anywhere at any time. So I, I would not be shocked to see her sign with another organization. And I'm sure that her phone is probably ringing off the hook from organizations outside the UFC. Now, again, if the best offer she can get somewhere else is, I don't know, $200,000, $250,000, and the UFC is willing to say, okay, well, we'll pay you $300,000 to fight Nunes again. That's probably the right move for her. But if Bellator calls and says, we're going to give you $500,000 a fight, and they call the UFC and say, well, Bellator's offering us 500000 Can you give us that to fight Nunes as a one-off? They might just say, well, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze there. And then she can go and sign with Bellator. Because Bellator does have a, a decent 145 division. And Julia Budd has been mentioning Cyborg in recent interviews. Julia Budd was actually in town recently in Toronto, and I didn't get a chance to catch up with her. But hopefully next time she's here, I will. Uh, very, very good Canadian fighter who we should certainly showcase uh, as a champion. Now, Mike Perry in that co-main event against Vicente Luque, I had scored it for Perry. I thought he won two of the three rounds, but that was one heck of a fight. Massive back and forth. And we didn't really see what happened to Perry in the third round. He was on top of Luque. Nose was bleeding profusely. We didn't know really exactly where the blood was coming from at the time even. And then as soon as that fight ends and he stands up, you look at his nose and it's like, whoa, looks like a windy road. So Mike Perry, according to his agent, uh, Abraham Kawa via Ariel Helwani, says that uh, it's going to be six months before Perry, uh, Perry rather, can take any sort of um, damage to the face. So he might be out for a full year. And uh, if that's the case, that's kind of sad. You know, Darren Till was on Ariel Helwani's show today and said that uh, they were trying to line that fight up. Darren Till versus Mike Perry in Manchester. Uh, for those that don't know, the card that just took place on August 3rd in Newark was originally reported to be taking place, was it August 3rd or August 10th? I don't know. I think August 3rd. was originally uh, slated to take place, yes, August 3rd, in uh, Sochi, Russia. And then something went wrong logistically with that. Then they were looking at Manchester. That fell through, and then it ended up in Newark. So that fight might have taken place two weeks ago. Instead, Perry fights Luque. Luque wins another one, and Luque is on a roll right now. The fact that he was not ranked. Uh, they said on the broadcast that he was ranked, but if you went to the rankings website, he was unranked. Uh, I think that that's a sham. I think Vicente Luque is an excellent fighter, and uh, I hope he does get ranked because that way other ranked fighters might be willing to fight this guy because I don't think he's going to have... A lot of success getting fights as an unranked fighter against ranked opponents because of how dangerous this guy is. You know, it's weird. With Luke, when you watch him fight and he gets hit, it always looks like he's in trouble. But he's always somehow able to overcome it and turn the tables and, and come back and win. I just don't see a whole lot of holes in his game. I think the only person that's going to be able to beat him is somebody who can outwill him, outheart him. And I think that Mike Perry might have done that in the past fight. But uh, the judges gave it to Luque. And I think that, you know, somebody, one of my colleagues who hosts the uh, MMA analysis, one of the hosts of that show, if you don't listen to that podcast, it's, it's very entertaining, said after the fact that that could have been a 30-27 fight on either card for either guy. And it was one of those fights. You can't definitively say that either guy won any of those three rounds. First round, very close. I gave it to Perry. Second round, very close. I gave a slight edge to Luque. And third round, very close. And I gave that one to Perry. 
I thought that Luque landed the best strike of that uh, third round, but I thought if you looked at the control, if you looked at all of the shots that uh, Perry was landing while he was in that guillotine choke, I, I kind of sided with Perry for those reasons. But once again, a, a fight that I think was uh, very, very close. And I'd like to see what's next with Luque. I like both those guys. I've interviewed them both. They're both very engaging, nice, nice uh, individuals that uh, are, are very fun to speak with. So I wish them both success in the future. Uh, Nate Diaz was interviewed by Brett Okamoto. 40-minute interview. And I wanted to teach you guys something. It's a trick that I actually taught Brett Okamoto himself, and he's thanked me for it since. On YouTube, when you're watching interviews or you're watching um, any sort of features, there's a function to speed it up. You can speed up YouTube and watch up to two speed. I think you can actually enter a custom speed too, but I I watch everything at like one and a half to two speed. And... um, it helps you watch like a 40-minute interview in like whatever, 30 minutes or, or less, depending on what the speed you use is. So uh, I would recommend speed changes on YouTube if you're interested in consuming more content in less time. But uh, that interview was very entertaining, and uh, I thought Brett did a fantastic job with Nate Diaz. Um, and I, you know, I also mentioned to Brett after the fact. I sent him a text telling him he did a great job, and I said, Nate Diaz is a terrible five-minute interview and a terrific 40-minute interview. He's one of these guys that really needs to warm up and and get going if you want to get good stuff out of him because he's not good for short sound bites. He's good for conversations and and long-form discussion. So uh, definitely recommend you watch that. But the thing that stood out to me was that Nate Diaz in this interview said that, you know, after Pettis, if he wins, he's only interested in fighting Conor or Khabib. He's not interested in Usman. He wants to move back down to 155. And that surprises me because I'm not sure how close he is to fighting either of those guys. I think Connor actually would be, uh, I, I, you know, you could make that fight for sure. You could make that trilogy fight, I think, and it would do big numbers. And if you look at the, uh, I pointed this out on social media today on Twitter. If you look at the view counts for the countdown episodes that were posted yesterday, Ferguson, uh, sorry, uh, Cormier and Stipe is up to about 250,000 views. Diaz and Pettis, over a million. And that's in the span of like less than 24 hours, over a million views. I've always had my doubts about whether Diaz is a, na- a needle mover. That quieted me, you know, mighty fast. We just haven't had an, an opportunity to see in those post-McGregor fights what Diaz can deliver. He hasn't had a fight since then, right? So we don't really know how much he still resonates with the audience or how much he alone, without a Conor McGregor in the mix, resonates well, seeing a million page, a million video views, I mean, the UFC has, I think, 6 million subscribers. So seeing already a million video views in less than 24 hours is pretty remarkable. That's a big number for a, a YouTube video to get in that amount of time. And I, what I'm interested in watching is how, how high it gets up by the end of the week and how that stands up against you know, some of the biggest videos that are on the UFC's YouTube channel. Not that it will stay up. I was going to compare it to the other countdown shows from earlier in the year, but they take those down apparently. Either way, uh, Nate Diaz seeming to resonate with this audience very much. And uh, any uh, doubts that I had were put to bed when I saw that number, that's for sure. And even Okamoto's interview, by the time I clicked on it, it was right after Brett had tweeted it out, and it was at like 150,000. So I'd be interested to see where it's at now. Maybe I'll look that up. But uh, Nate Diaz, I think, is one of these guys that... um, is going to move the needle. And uh, I don't think there's really any doubts about that at this point. 
I'm uh, looking it up now. So Nate Diaz with Okamoto. It's at 410,000. So that's like in a couple hours. In about, in about four hours, it jumped 300,000 page views or uh, video views. That's an unbelievable number. So uh, kudos to Brett on a great interview, and uh, kudos to Nate Diaz on proving that he does, in fact, move the needle, if anybody had their doubts. Uh, Tony Ferguson on social media yesterday says that uh, he might have something coming up. Back to work, he said. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to weigh in in Abu Dhabi and be a backup fighter. Who knows? But uh, I just don't know what would make sense for Tony Ferguson. I was trying to think about what might be a a fun fight for Tony Ferguson at this point that would, uh, would not worry him too much in terms of his position in the hierarchy of the lightweight division or, you know, something that would, would get him out of bed and have him risk his position in that division. And the, re- the only thing that came to mind was Conor McGregor. Because if you're Conor McGregor and you want your shot at Khabib and you want it soon, you need to beat Ferguson or you need to wait for that fight to happen between Khabib and Ferguson. And uh, I will say, a, a Ferguson versus Conor fight is very interesting to me. Because as good as Ferguson is, he gets hit. And when you get hit with a shot from McGregor, that can be trouble. But I do also think that Ferguson has Conor beat pretty much everywhere else outside of power. He's got him beat for volume. He's got him beat for uh, grappling. Got him beat for submissions. Wrestling. All of that. So uh, I would give Ferguson the edge in that fight by a, a pretty fair margin. But if Ferguson's going to fight, that would have to be the one that's going to happen, unless he's planning a move to 170, which I think at this point in time, with where he's at at 155, would not make a lot of sense. Unless he's willing to do like maybe a one-off fight with Jorge Masvidal and is told that it's not going to affect his standing in the lightweight division. But uh, I just don't see why he would get into that sort of fight now. Like, what, What's the upside? If he beats Jorge Masvidal, then what? That what, what? You're now in the mix in two divisions. That's cool. But I think that uh, the fight with Khabib is the, uh, the fight that everybody wants to see. And uh, I'm very interested to see what Ferguson meant by that. And if he does, in fact, have a, a fight that's going to be lined up soon. You know, looking ahead, you've got MSG. You've got December. Uh, you, that's UFC 245. And those cards uh, don't have much on them right now. 244 has two fights. Uh, Bulgaria Ivanov and uh, Derek Lewis. And there's one other fight, uh, another really good fight that's, uh, that's booked for that card that uh, for whatever. Oh, Corey Anderson, Johnny Walker. That was the other one. That's a very good fight. So uh, where Tony Ferguson goes from here, I think is going to be very interesting to see because I'm not exactly sure what there is for him to prove at this point in time and what, you know, what, he, what would get him out of bed and, and make him risk that standing. Daniel Cormier, also on the Helwani show today, was asked about you know, what he thinks he's going to do after this fight against Stipe Miocic. And it's a pretty loaded question when you think about it because if he wins, he can go out on a high note, but then he'll also have to walk away with, uh, you know, the John Jones stain on his record, having lost twice to him, one of which has been overturned to a no contest. And then if he loses, whether he would be at peace with retiring off a loss to Stipe. Now, the beauty of a potential John Jones fight is that a loss to Stipe, I don't think, would preclude him from moving down to 205 to face Jones for a third time. And if a, a win over Stipe, 
certainly wouldn't stop him from fighting Jones at either heavyweight or 205. But the only way I see Cormier retiring is with a nice win over Stipe. One that he could walk away and say, I just beat the best heavyweight of all time twice. Now I'm the best heavyweight of all time. Two title defenses. Two wins over a guy that everybody said was the greatest heavyweight of all time. Or at least a lot of people. In terms of the UFC. He could walk away and and be considered one of the best ever, I, I would think. This match doesn't have a whole lot of upside, in my opinion, him fighting Stipe again. I think it's a great fight. I think that Stipe certainly has earned a rematch, but when you look at Cormier and where he's at in this this stage of his career, to me, I think he should have waited for the right opportunity to have the Jones rematch. I don't think a rematch with Stipe Miocic does much for him. If he wins again, then what? You know, you can say he could probably cement himself as the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Maybe. Probably. He would be undefeated at heavyweight. He would have beaten Stipe Miocic twice. It would be hard to deny him that, that slot. A loss to Stipe, I think, would do a lot of damage to his reputation. I think this is a very high-risk, low-reward fight for Daniel Cormier. And uh, I think the best chance of him retiring is if he uh, leaves on a high note with a win over Stipe Miocic. Because then if he fights Jones and loses to Jones, then what, he's going to retire coming off of a third loss to Jones? Like, that's, that's not the kind of taste you want in your mouth when you're retiring. You know, Cormier keeps saying that he doesn't owe Jones anything. And I, I tend to agree with that. I, I don't think that he does owe Jones anything. And I don't think that, you know, losing twice to Jones takes away from him, him being one of the best of all time. But I don't think he can be the best of all time without beating Jones. I don't think you could look at their records side by side and say, Daniel Cormier has a better resume than John Jones. I just don't. You got to remember the Jones beat all the killers. Now you can always talk about asterisks and drug tests and all that stuff. Sure. That's all well and good. And I get that if that's where you want to go. But based strictly on resume alone, I just don't think you can call Cormier the best of all time without him beating Jones. That's just my opinion. I'm sure others will fight me on that opinion. Um, I don't think that I'm in the minority when I say that. I, you know, I don't think that's a hot take. I think that a lot of people will be, do believe what I'm saying to be true, that Cormier can't be the best ever without being, beating Jones. And I think that that's what would motivate Cormier to beat Jones. Perhaps if he has a five-round war with Stipe and gets the win by decision, maybe then he retires because he realizes that you know, things are getting tougher and that's a, that's a big win. Now, if he smokes Stipe in the first round and still, you know, that's another good way to go out, but wouldn't you want to carry that momentum into a fight with Jones? And Cormier was pretty quick to downplay Jones' opponents as well, saying, yeah, if he wants to fight a Tiago Santos or Jan Blahovic or one of these type guys, sure. He can keep doing that, but he knows that I'm the money fight. And I think that John Jones knows that to be true. I think we'll, the post-fight interview, if Cormier scores a win, or even a loss, will uh, be a very, very strong indicator of what the thinking was for Cormier going into this fight. I think he does deep down know what he wants to do, but he's, he's holding his cards close to the vest, which I, I don't blame him. You don't want to go into this fight and say, this is my last fight ever. Because if you lose, people will say, oh, you were thinking about retirement. I think he's playing it smart. I don't think you want to show your cards right now. I think you go into this with an open mind. You go into this fight. You see what happens. You see how you feel in there. He knows how his camp went. I don't think anybody else besides him and his camp have any idea of how good of a camp it was. 
So if he can, if he did have a great camp, if he's feeling good, if he gets a nice win, then I think the hunger for a Jones trilogy fight will be there. If he doesn't look great but still manages to get a decision win, I'm not sure how hungry people will be. And if he loses to Stipe, that's when things get very dicey because then it seems like he wants to go back to fight Jones for one last hurrah that could really diminish his legacy. If he, if he leaves on two losses, even though they're to two of the best ever, Stipe and Jones in their respective divisions, Jones in terms of all-time history of any division, I think he's, in my opinion, the best of all time. That's when you start to, you know, things get a little bit dicey because you don't want to see Cormier leave on two losses. I don't think anybody would want to. I think, I think people are warm to Cormier. People like Daniel Cormier. They like what he's about. If you haven't seen his E60 story, you, you know now about all the trials and tribulations that he's been through in his life. He's a guy you want to see have happiness. And I think that uh, it would be a real downer to see him lose two in a row and end his career that way. Also fighting on UFC 241, he's uh, someone who has been on the show before, who has an incredible backstory and uh, is coming off a win over Antonio Carlos Jr. And that's a big win. You know, he was an underdog in that fight, and I think rightfully so. I don't think a lot of people should be favored over a guy with the jiu-jitsu chops of uh, an Antonio Carlos Jr. But he was, and he definitely made a statement in that win. Now he faces his highest-ranked opponent to date in Derek Brunson. He's cracked the top 10 in just over a year in the UFC. He's close to cracking the top 5. And he is Ian Heinish, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen... It's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm now joined by Hurricane Ian Heinish facing Derek Brunson this weekend, UFC 241 in Anaheim. And uh, you've had some really tough matchups recently. This is another, another one, but you feel like this is uh, someone who you match up particularly well with? You guys have very similar skill sets. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what I think. Um, you know, this is going to be a fight for the fans. You know, my last few fights, you know, I had to really fight off the jiu-jitsu. You know, it's hard to fight someone when they're just holding on you. And uh, Derek Brunson, he's got a wrestling base, uh, he, but he likes to he likes to brawl. He 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 has pretty good striking, so it's very similar to me. But I believe I'm the younger, hungrier fighter. I have a better mindset, and I'm just uh, sharper in my technique. So uh, I'm excited for this one. We're gonna we're gonna meet in the middle, and we're both gonna go forward. So it was almost a year ago that you won on Contender Series and, and got into the UFC. Since then, they've really thrown you into the fire. You've got Cesar Fajeja, as you mentioned, great BJJ. Antonio Carlos Jr., world-class BJJ. And now Derek Brunson. Are you happy with how fast things have gone for you moving up at this division? Yeah, you know, it's, you know it, I'm just following whatever God's leading in front of me. And, and he's giving me these matchups. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm annihilating them. I'm taking them out of my way. I'm climbing the ladder super fast. You know, it was faster than I could have imagined. But... You know, I'm happy with where I'm at. My management, Jason House at Iridium Sports, uh, and my coach, Mark Montoya, Professor Busy, they're just helped direct me through all this. And, you know, we, we called Brunson out. We got the fight. So, you know, we're, we're happy with uh, the path that we're on right now, and we're excited uh, for the next year. You go into this fight carrying a little momentum with uh, Chris Gutierrez getting a win this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge win for him. Uh, tough guy he fought and you know they both left it on the line and fought fought their hearts out and uh yeah i was super happy for him man that guy that guy works his butt off and i'm just glad he got that win and uh now back to the drawing board and on to the next 
Yeah, that one could have easily gone either way. That was a very competitive fight. Yeah, I was definitely uh, I was worried a little, and uh, it was it was super close. I knew that, but I felt like he reversed or he every time he got taken down, he got up, and then he took him down, and I felt like uh, he was uh, landing bigger shots. So, yeah, I was glad it, he got the W. Now, I was thinking one guy that does not have a matchup right now is uh, Jacare Souza. Having beaten yep. Antonio Carlos Jr., if you are successful this weekend, is that somebody that you would look at and think this is this could be a really good way for me to get into the top five of this division? Yeah, well, when I beat Brunson, you know, obviously I'm not looking past him. He's a game opponent. The guys who have only beat him are, you know, up there, top five. So I want to add myself to that list. And um, But, yeah, we're looking at, I mean, Gastelum maybe in November. Um, you know, I, I would love to fight Jocker. I feel like I fought the two, one of the uh, the best jiu-jitsu guys in the game and Cesar Ferreira, another one. So I might as well fight the best. You know, I'm already on that role. I've already trained to beat these guys. So, and Jocker has got some hands and power. So, you know, that's not just a jiu-jitsu guy either. And uh, so, yeah, I would love that matchup if that's what the, the UFC wants to give me next. But obviously I need to focus on this Saturday. You know, I got a, I got a, um, a big challenge ahead of me, and uh, I'm ready to really outclass Brunson, though, and just kind of put a clinic on him and just show that, you know, this is the next generation. He had his time. He lost uh, super close fights that could have put him in the position to be fighting for a title, and it's my time now. It seems like now is a really good time to be in this division. I mean, you've got Whitaker and Adesanya at the top, and they're fairly young. But you see Weidman leaving to light heavyweight. Rockhold has left for, what, for light heavyweight. Uh, Jacques Ray and Romero are both getting into their 40s and getting up there in age. Even your opponent this weekend, Brunson, is getting a little bit older. Do you feel like now is a really good time to be in this division because of those circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this, this division's getting shaken up. You know, obviously, my eyes on uh, Israel and Whitaker. And, you know, honestly, I like, I like the Israel matchup for me. I really do. And, um, you know, I felt like Brunson didn't represent wrestlers as he should have. When he fought him, he was, he was, he was for some reason terrified to strike, make him uh, worried about his power a little bit, and then, you know, blend his wrestling. He just went straight for wrestling, shooting shots six feet out. I just – I don't know why uh, he got in his head a little bit there and got emotional. And uh, I felt like I could, I could you know – blend it really well take uh israel down and you know kind of khabib him a little bit where i don't think he's ever been there ever and uh just kind of see what he's made of but yeah yeah the the division's super shooken up right now and uh we're a lot of things are playing out within the next month or two there's a lot of middleweight fights that are going to determine a lot of things so yeah i, I believe this is perfect time it's, it's god's plan that i'm here at this time right now and i'm just excited for saturday well, let's look ahead to that main event in uh, in Australia then. Uh, Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya. Uh, you just mentioned Israel. Uh, how do you think that one goes? I mean, this is couldn't be a better matchup for Israel Adesanya in terms of who the champion is at this moment in time. Yeah, you know, I, I believe that Whitaker is going to win, honestly. But um, if he doesn't, that's fine. But I just feel like he's more well-rounded. He's more experienced in MMA. And, you know, I think he should blend a few takedowns in on him because that's something I feel like Israel hasn't dealt with as much. Kelvin Gaslam took him down a little bit, but didn't really try to, uh, you know, lace him up, hold him down and, and wear on him a little. And I feel like he could have won that fight in the fifth round if he just would have took him down. You know, he had that fight. 
It's, and obviously, uh, a natural born striker is going to have better cardio striking than a than a wrestler. You know, it's pretty crazy how the sport works. I mean, when I looked at Gastelum uh, facing Whitaker, I thought that that was a great matchup for Gastelum. And then you match him up with Adesanya, and it's not quite as good of a matchup. It's it's weird how a lot of people look at who the champion is, and they think that's you know always the best guy. But a lot of the time, there are people I think that are ranked even in like the ten to fifteen range that could give those guys a run for their money in this sport. I I always find that fascinating yeah styles make fights man like you know one guy might be able to beat someone but then uh he can't beat someone the other guy beat because it's just their styles don't match up you know it's crazy that's how i mean i, I learned about this in wrestling you know it's it, when you beat someone and then someone that you beat beat uh, uh loses to them or vice versa you know what i mean where uh it's just weird how styles work and it's got to be a big chip on your shoulder um, and notch on your belt, really, that I think if people would have looked at you stylistically coming into the UFC, they would have said, you know, submission grappling might be something that's an issue for this guy if he faces a really high-level BJJ guys. And you passed the test on, on both of those uh, opportunities that you had against uh, Feheja and, and Carlos Jr. So if you look at the rest of this division, is there anybody else that you look at that you think might be not, you know, not quite as good of a stylistic matchup for you? Um, you know... I train to beat all these guys. You know, I want to be this guy who's just well-rounded. I have so much that I haven't shown the UFC with my striking and my actual takedown blend and um, my work on top. But, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, any area that I'm weak in or I'm not up to par with the other areas, I make that my favorite area for a time until it, it elevates and it, and that's what you got to do. You see these guys at the top, man. They're complete fighters, man. And if they're not, they're going to get exposed eventually. And so you got to – that's why wrestlers are so good because that wrestling base takes one of the longest things to get. And then um, – so if you don't have that, it just – it's hard to go back and do that. Like, I think Israel doesn't have it. I think Whitaker is just his defense and his hips are just so good that uh, he doesn't need that and, and it's striking, you know. So um, – I just work to be able to beat any fighter, but you know, as far as styles, I feel I feel I can I can go with any of them. I feel like Whitaker's going to be my toughest fight. Now we've spoken at length about your backstory and and what you went through uh, prior to becoming a mixed martial artist. Um, you've spoken to me in the past about potentially having a book deal or a movie deal. What can you tell us about that at this point in time? Um, yeah, so we're just kind of in the process of just weighing out all of our options you know for in order for a successful book and a movie you got to have a huge platform so i'm working on growing my platform on my side uh we have some offers we have some people that are interested and we're just kind of we're just kind of seeing who's going to be the best fit for us who really wants to invest in this and just kind of taking our time because that last chapter of the book is being written as we speak and it's called and new so we're just uh kind of weighing out our options i'm working on building this platform so that it will be successful because even if it's a great story without a big platform, uh, it's just not going to do anything. The last, whatever, 15 years of your life, you've been, you've had a lot of situations where you get in, you're able to experience a, a certain type of rush or adrenaline. I mean, right now, probably from MMA, of course, and training. And, you know, before that, when you were uh, involved in whatever it was, dr- was it drug, drug trafficking, drug dealing, whatever you want to call it. Do you fear that yeah. after, uh, your MMA career that you're not going to have the same kind of rushes that you feel from all of these different things that you've experienced the last 15 years of your life? Do you ever think ahead to that? Uh, you know, 
I feel I'll find something else to substitute for that, and it'll be something positive. You know, it's really rewarding uh, using my platform and all my pain as a platform to help all these. I got so many people that just depend on me that are inspired by my story. Uh, just watching these kids and young adults just change their life, man, and, and that's and that's super rewarding for me. But, you know, I, I love to go diving in Mexico. I mean, I, I, I've been skydiving. So, you know, there will be stuff I can find to substitute for that. Uh, right now I got I got a lot on my plate. And uh, afterwards, you know, it's it just my life has, has so many more avenues. And the platform I'm building with the book and the movie and everything, it's just going to be it's going to be nonstop adrenaline in my life. I don't I don't ever worry about that. Do you get that same kind of rush from helping somebody, knowing that you've changed someone's life for the better? Because that's a that's a really empowering feeling. Yeah, it's unreal, man. When you see someone just really make a change in their life, that's just life-changing for them. It's just, you know, there's nothing really like it. And, you know, that's why it's so important. It's going to do a lot more good for this world when I win this fight compared to Brunson. Brunson's going to help his family. I think he makes a flat rate. You know, I think he's doing it for money. When I win, it's just going to continue to to create this movement, this this inspiration. You know, I, I mean, after fighting too, I'm I'm going after the medical system. I'm going after the prison system. I don't know if you ever seen the the Khalid uh, Broder uh, documentary uh, about Rikers Island, man. It's, it, I mean, there's so many things that are wrong about this this system, and uh, you know, I want to be one of the guys that can hopefully lead this movement or you know, contribute to, to helping make a change, man. Is that the one that Jay-Z did? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. Oh, man, it's it's great. I actually just recently watched it. Uh, um, I was getting interviewed, and they asked me about it, and I didn't know much about it, and I watched it. And it's unreal. And it's, it, I mean, it brought back a lot of, of stuff for me, just how Rikers is run. It, I mean, it's just lawless. And these kids are 16 going in there. I mean, the kid was innocent and he was in there for four years and then came out. He was so messed up from his experience. He committed suicide. You know, what's up with that? I mean, just, you got to watch it. It's, it's powerful. Yeah, I'd like to, I started watching the central park five, uh, series that was done on Netflix. And I had to shut it off because I have, I have kids. I have three kids yeah. and I was watching how the officers yeah. were treating these kids with their parents there and everything. And, and, the like helplessness that they must have been experiencing, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure there are other people who had that same experience. And I watched the Central Park Five documentary that Ken Burns's daughter did, and I, I, lo- I really enjoyed that. I mean, I, as much as you can enjoy watching something like that, um, obviously, yeah. there, there's uh, vindication at the end. But uh, yeah, that's that's tough to to watch and get through. But you know, as you mentioned, this, the private prison system right now in the U.S. is uh, it's really a disaster. And I, I think that it's great that you are tackling uh, that particular issue. Because um, it's there are a lot of people that are in prison right now that really should not be, and that are experiencing um, a lot of things that uh, they really should not be experiencing. Yeah, you know, and it's it's not only that, man. It's just we're basically sacrificing lives for money, and that's just wrong because there's no uh, reform. I mean, I was in a prison in in Europe, and they reformed me. They actually changed me. They gave me opportunity to learn Spanish, to train, to, to do these things, to uh, further my education. But you come here and you just, it's basically crime school and they just want you to sit there so they can make money off you. And they just let you basically join gangs, kill each other. I mean, 
it's just there's so many things I could speak to you for hours on this, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things I want to do, and getting this win is just going to help grow my platform to help me make a huge and big impact and change in this world. I did recently interview Dave LaDuke, who's the uh, the king of Lethway, and uh, he was he used to fight in the uh, Thai prison. Have you heard about this, where where prisoners in Thailand yeah. can fight to uh, expedite their sentences? Yep. Yeah. No, that's crazy. That's that's actually kind of cool, you know. Fight your way to freedom. That's pretty wild. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think that would ever fly here in, uh, in North America. But it's, reading about that, I was like, well, that's a real thing. Wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting for sure. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there, but just you know, we're the greatest country in the world, and you know, we're we're so far ahead of other countries, yet we're so far behind in this area because a few people are getting rich off of uh, just putting people in there with, with no, with rough upbringings and no mentors and no, no parents. And they're just using them to make money. And that's just, uh, we shouldn't allow that. We're well, better the, than that. The problem is that uh, in, you know, a, a capitalist society, when a lot of these different industries are making a lot of money, they now have the money to fight against that change through lobbyists and, um, you know, in the U.S., the, the the system with lobbyists is really what a lot of the, the, the biggest problems um, are right now. I mean, you see it with the assault rifles and, and all of that. You know, I don't want to turn this into a political show, but um, you see that with, with the lobbying for the, the idea that somebody can walk into a gun show and buy like 30 assault rifles without any sort of background check seems as somebody who lives in Canada and has seen one gun in my life that has not been held by a police officer in this country seems very foreign to me is, is all I will say about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ian. Well, hopefully I'll see you this week uh, in Anaheim. I'll be traveling there on, uh, on Wednesday. I know you're going tomorrow. And, uh, you know, best of luck this weekend. We'll chat later this week at, uh, at Media Day, and I, I appreciate you doing this. All right, absolutely. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. That was Ian Heinisch, who competes at UFC 241 in Anaheim at the Honda Center this coming weekend. Uh, Joe will join me now in studio. We're going to break down this card, talk about... Uh, his thoughts on, uh, I think the three fights at the top are really what we've got to look at. Yeah. Daniel Cormier and Steven yep. Miocic, the rematch. This is really interesting because this is a very evenly matched fight. We yep. haven't seen Stipe fight since. We've seen Cormier fight once against Derek Lewis. And uh, I just don't know what to make of it because I think that, like, Cormier obviously has the mental edge. He, he mm-hmm. beat Stipe in the first round. But what has Stipe learned over the course of the year? I mean, he's stuck with the same camp in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, he's become a father. You know, all these things have happened in Stipe's life. But I imagine his motivation is going to be bigger than ever. And I think Cormier mentally might have a foot out the door. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you agree? Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I think he, he's just so talented with his years of experience. Um, he can get it done. But that first fight, you got to remember, sometimes a lunky punch does land. Something I know uh, Cormier set it up well. But for Stipe, I don't think he has to change too much. You know, I don't think the plan should be, oh, we got to change all these different things. It was one punch. Let's get a little bit more intelligent on how to defend that. And then we go from there. We know that he's trying to do stick to his long jab. So, I mean, I don't think there's much to change for that fight for him. I think it's just that one punch landed. Good job on DC. But uh, I think Stipe was so successful and he needs to stick what made him so successful before that loss. I'm starting to get the feeling that John Jones is going to fight the winner of this fight. Really? Like, regardless of who it is. I mean... They just did. They say they want John Jones to fight by the end of the year, but you look at what they have set up. You've got Johnny Walk, Johnny Walker taking on Corey Anderson now, and you've also got Dominic Reyes taking on Weidman. Yeah. So those are like among the top contenders in the division. Like, there's not a whole lot of people for John Jones to fight. 
by the end of the year. So if you want him to fight at the end of the year, it would make a lot of sense for him to fight the winner of this fight. It could be. But I don't know. Like, I, from when hearing his interviews, I mean, interviews are interviews. They probably say what, you know, they want people to hear. But it seems like he wants to sit out in the light heavyweight division and continue to dominate. You know what speaks louder than words, though, Joe? Moolah. Do- dollar signs. Dollar bills. Yeah. Checks. The, the checks in the bank. So, I mean, if they open up the checkbook and they want to make a big fight, that would make a lot of sense. I, I think if, if, personally, if I was John Jones' coach, I would say... Okay, let's do maybe one more at light heavyweight. Let's take a good six to eight months to let's put on some size. Let's get some weight on, especially to go up in weight like that, to put on that extra size and then go back to light heavyweight. It's going to be a little bit more issue. You spend all that time, the energy to put muscle on, then to have to lose it again. So I think if he moves to heavyweight to take this fight, he should stay there. Well, that's what Cormier says he wants to do, is move back down to 205. And if you see Cormier walking around at yeah. these events, he's got to be like 270, 280. He's like, he's big. Yeah, yeah. but like belly heavy too, right? Yeah, of course. And But John Jones, like, I mean, what would you predict John Jones walks around at? Probably like 230. Yeah, I, I would guess. say that. If he's, he's a really big guy. Like in person, he's a very, very large yeah. guy. And I think his height makes him seem bigger too. Right? Yeah, Very sure. long, rangy. He's pretty thick too. Like he's... He's pretty built up. Yeah, like I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if he walks around at two thirty, two thirty. Like I mean, easily he can be a heavyweight. That's no problem. Yeah. I mean, you add some strength, in, some yeah. strength on his on quads. You get him squatting a little bit more, packing on some weight with the deadlifts and and eating. I mean, he's got the best nutritionist. They'll they'll bulk him up pretty quick. But uh, to, yeah, I would say a good heavyweight. He should probably walking around. I would say two fifty, two fifty. Yeah, I would say two forty five for him to be a good. Because I mean, I think under two forty five as a heavyweight is kind of light. I mean, most of the top heavyweights you're going to see 245 plus. Yeah, that's around. Stipe and, and, and Cormier usually fight in that range, like 240 to 250. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, like, I mean. You don't I'm, see a whole lot of, of successful heavyweights in, like, the, the low 230s yeah. or anything like well, that. Well, that was what Gokan Saki was in kickboxing. Yeah. And, and even when uh, he first came, that's why he did the, the 205. But, uh, yeah, there's not many. At that point, you got to spend that extra time cutting that weight to 205. Hopefully we see Gokan Saki come back soon. I don't I know what's so. going on with him. I think he's he had that knee injury, right? Yeah. And then he seemed to recover. Then he had a fight booked, and then he came off. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope so, know. too. Um, so that's, uh, that's a big main event. Um, and I just can't, like, I can't wrap, wrap my head around yeah. it. Really. What are the odds on this? Uh, Cormier's a small favorite. I can pull that up, actually, for you. Let's pull up the odds for this particular event. So Cormier is, yeah, minus 145 for Cormier. That's... Which is probably no. about where it should be. It's a pretty close to even fight, and with a with a slight nod towards Cormier, who's yeah, already beaten that's Stipe. That's fair. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a fair. Uh, Cormier pick. was the underdog last time around. What did it close at last time? Let me take a look. It closed at, uh, yeah, like Stipe was like a minus one fifty at close, some anywhere between minus one fifty and minus two hundred. So he was in a, a little bit of the higher range against Cormier, but uh, Cormier got it done. So that's where you uh, you have to look at uh, at that and. Flip that. Flip those odds. Plus, you've also seen Cormier beat Derek Lewis instead in a pretty dominant fashion. Have we heard um, anything with uh, what's happening with Nagano next? He's probably going to fight the winner of this fight if you were to just go by the rankings. Like He's got to be next in line for heavyweight. Yeah, you would think so. But uh, they might have bigger plans. The John Jones. I mean, do you want to see Stipe versus Nagano again? Maybe. It could be interesting. Yeah, I and think Cormier, so. And Cormier, last time I asked Cormier about Nagano, did you hear what he had to say? He said, no, no. What he, he said, uh, everybody's getting fooled. He goes... Nothing's changed. He goes, Francis still has big power, but 
I'm gonna you know, wrestle. We, him. we haven't seen him wrestle. You know, he goes, nothing's changed. Everybody's it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was interested. It in that. needs that special, you know, wrestler to get him. Yeah. It, it, that's all it does. It takes a special wrestler to do it. And when I was when I saw his eyes light up when I started talking about Francis, it made me realize that maybe he's got another one. Like maybe after this one, he wants one more. You'd maybe even DC, two more. DC Nagano. Yeah, maybe. Why not? But that, you, the last thing you want is to end your career with Nagano, with Nagano smashing you in the first yeah. round, right? Sending you to orbit. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's something you got to consider if you're Cormier. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think yeah. he thinks about this kind of stuff, though, honestly. Yeah, I don't like, know. Cormier he's... is a very smart guy, but it seems like he's one of those guys where it's like, hey, I dare you to jump uh, jump off this bridge. Yeah, he's doing the water. it. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's jumping. I, I bet you can't do it. He's like, yeah. what? Okay, what I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why he's so successful. He's competitive, you yeah. know? He's a monster that way. Anybody, he's what, 40 years old? Yeah, he just turned 40 years old. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And how old is a Naganu? Early 30s? Uh, Yeah, I think he's like 33 or something like that. He's he's in the the early 30s, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like it. I mean, but to end off your career on that, it's a little dangerous. It's a scary one. Dangerous. (laughs) That's a tough proposition. Yeah, I wonder wonder what his path is in in his mind. That's what I'm wondering. I'm really wondering where his path is. I'm wondering if he wants to. Because he doesn't have anything to prove, but, you know, he has the right, you know, ideas. I don't know. I don't know. He's been very calculated, very smart with things. And again, is is it just as bad to fight John Jones again and to lose? And then what? Well, here's the other question, though. Where does Cormier go if he loses this fight? Like, what's he? He probably retires, don't you think? Like, what else is there for him to do? He's won the heavyweight championship. He's won the light heavyweight championship. Nobody can take that away. It's just kind of nice to see him say, "Here, here's my belt. I'm going out." You know, instead of having to lose on the way out, because losing on the way out. It's a bad taste in your mouth, you know? You're like, okay, let me keep going till I lose. And you're like, nah, yeah. why, why do I want to lose? Well, that was like you know? Bisping. Bisping lost his last fight, and then he wanted to do another one to try to get a win. And then yeah. he was like, you know what? I don't need yeah. this. I know, but it might, it might come back to them after, you know? But, I mean, I think for, you know, Bisping, like, not being the champ, it was a little different. It's a little easier. But, like, when you lose that world title that has made yeah. you who you are. Well, that's why are. he wanted to fight Gastelum so soon after that. He yeah. fought Gastelum, like, three weeks after losing the title. And then he gets knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, giving, leaving a career with your belt, uh, I think it, it means a lot. You know, I think that's uh, it's something special for, for a, a combat sports athlete to do because it, it happens very rarely. Yeah, and he has that opportunity. And even if he beats Debay, maybe he walks away. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, Anthony Pettis against Nate Diaz. Nate mm-hmm. Diaz returning from a, a very long layoff. His last fight was the rematch against Conor McGregor back in August of 2016. So it's a wow, three-year layoff long, almost. Eh? Yeah, almost to the day, three years. So he'll come back against Pettis. And I actually think this is a great matchup for him to return on. I, I think it's great too, but how, how it's crazy the Diaz name, man. It's so crazy because you can be out for three years and then come back in for a top contender fight. You know what I mean? Well, I don't like, know if this is a top contender No, but fight. I mean, like you're talking with, if you bring up Nate Diaz's name, you're talking about the Conor McGregor fights. You're, he's getting the biggest fight still from being out three years, yeah. you know? So I, mean, I think that's something special, what they've created in, in their persona, in their their name value. That's for crazy sure. to and me. And this is a good test for Diaz because... Pettis is legit. Like, I mean, he just knocked out Wonder Boy. Yep. First guy to knock out Wonder Boy. If I'm Had mistaken. a fun fight with Ferguson. Yeah, like, I mean, he, exactly. he leaves it out there. And I think it's just going to le- make for a fun fight. Diaz Ooh. doesn't want to cut weight anymore, so this is going to be at 170. What's, uh, what's the odds? I need to hear this one. All right, let's, let's pull these. This, this one I'm, I'm very interested in hearing. Uh, Pettis minus 130, Diaz really? plus 110, yeah. Really? Okay. So Pettis is getting, and that, that might just be because of, because of the layoff yeah. and, of course, Pettis coming off it's, that It's a pick-em in my mind. It's a pick-em in my you. mind. It's more of a pick-em, but. 
again, like you said, that layoff probably gave Pettis that early early edge. For sure. Uh, do you want me to tell you what it opened at? Yep. Okay, let's take a look. I bet you it was probably more Diaz favorite yeah, as it minus opened. minus 120 Diaz. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And then so, people uh, are starting to sit, realize what how good Pettis is, and they're like, yeah, you know what? It's a smart move, the three-year layoff. I just think it's going to be a fun one, man. I think this is going to yeah. be three rounds of just like fun. back and forth striking, fun yeah, stuff yeah. on the ground if it gets there. Uh, lots to digest. So yeah. I li- I, I, I'm looking I, forward I, to it. I really like Pettis' mentality right now. Take the fun fights. Take yeah. certain. Like he's going out and he's really, you know, doing good things for himself. Like in my mind, could he run for another title? Maybe. Mm, maybe. Maybe at 170. Maybe. Depends on what's, what happens. But 170 is so stacked right now. Yeah, with the wrestling, that's the problem. in those those vicious wrestlers, you know. That that's why, like, and now, to, in order to be a champion at one seventy, you have to be almost like Olympic wrestler. You have to be high well, collegiate because your Pettis, champs are all all crazy wrestlers. Let's say like Covington was going to fight uh, Usman and then had to pull out, and Pettis was on the same card and took the main event. Like the odds for Usman would have to be minus five hundred easily like, yeah. it, like, because of that wrestling. Yeah. Agree. So I mean, the welterweight division isn't favoring strikers right now. That's for sure. Yeah, maybe Pettis just wants to have fun now. I, mean, yeah. I, think I like it. That's a good way to make some money I on like the way it. out. He's make been a some champion. money, some championship fights. You know, he was on uh, Wheaties boxes. Like he's done some great yeah, things exactly. in the sport. So let's have some money fights, the big fights. If he beats Diaz. Who knows if, uh, you know, someone like Conor McGregor might find it a fun fight, you know? And he could put himself into real big money. Like, we can call them super fights if we want to, you know? For sure. And uh, in the middleweight division, 42 Ooh. years old, Yoel Romero the, against the freak. The, the guy that everybody is touting as the big prospect. Yeah. In uh, Paulo Costa, 28 years old. Yeah, the monster. And both, both these guys are monsters. monsters. This is like, Jeez. I, I mean, the, uh, what are the odds on this one? Because... Yeah, Yoel at minus one fifty. I would have to favor. I, I like. I think Yoel at minus one fifty is a good price. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I don't know. Like Paulo I said, Costa I don't know. Paulo hard, Costa. but I mean, does Yoel Romero get dropped very often? Does he like yeah. Yoel's got a good chin? He moves his head, throws punches on weird angles. Like, yeah, Yoel's can do it. The only guy that's knocked Yoel Romero out that I can remember is a Feijao in Strikeforce at two hundred five, and he was like yoked up. That neck that he has. Yeah. So, but it is you've met uh, Yoel in person, right? Yeah. Is he six feet tall? No, he's like five. He's like five nine. Okay, what is he, what's he uh, listed as? Six foot tall. No, he's not six feet tall. I was like, there's no way. No, he's not six feet tall. He's like probably five nine, five ten. Okay, the the UFC has him at six. Yeah, and they have Paolo that's a basketball Co- six feet tall. Yeah, and they have Paulo Costa at six foot one. He seems taller than that to yeah, me. Yeah, Paulo Costa is probably around six one, six yeah. one, six two. Yeah, but in, in that range, that's yeah. accurate. But yeah, he'll have if you see them stare down. I'm sure you'll see a pretty. Sizable difference. Yeah, I'm telling you. But UFC, Romero in person is a tank. UFC stats suck. I'm going to say it. They suck. Well, they have Yoel Romero at uh, six feet tall and with a uh, one and a half inch reach advantage. Well, Yoel does have good over reach. Over Paulo Costa. Yoel's got a good reach. But even a, a, a two and a half inch leg reach advantage? Uh, that's, probably not, that's probably not true. Yeah. I don't know. Unless I'm underestimating the size of Yoel. Maybe he well, is he's got super tall. freak legs, Mr. Dandelion yeah, legs here. No, I don't, I don't so. know. Yeah, so well, uh, long that's here. that's an interesting one. I'm I'm curious about that one. And then I like I, another great one that's uh, in the prelims is uh, a Sunsau versus Corey Sandhagen. Yep. that's a fun one Sandhagen's too. Sandhagen's getting a lot of good hype. Yeah, Anybody? but you know what? If you're like minus one seventy against a guy like a Sunsau, like a Sunsau's a tough out. Didn't Sandhagen lose his last fight too? No, didn't he? No, no? He, didn't. he beat uh, or John he, Lineker. It was a close fight. It was a close fight. Yes, I remember. Yeah. It wasn't uh, as spectacular, I think, as people expected, but. Yeah, and then Brandon Davis has looked good at 135 when he moved down. He's against Hyung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect, one of my Mr. favorites. Mr. Perfect. I love that guy. And uh, Ma- uh, Manny Bermudez against Casey Kenny, another good one. So, um, 
Yeah, we should give our picks for this one. What do you think? Do you want? Do you have a pick? A, a pick yet? Uh, I need to see the, you the pull odds. Up, though. Pull up some bestfightodds.com. That's, That's where all the odds live for uh, MMA. If you're ever curious what the odds are, you can pull that up. It's a it's a great resource. All right. Let's see. Two forty one. Hmm. In the in the interest of uh, transparency, we're taping this before the Uruguay event, so I can't give a recap. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I I did it earlier in the show. Who knows? Hmm, let's see. Let's see. Corey Sanhagen's a, a minus one seventy favorite, eh? Yeah. Sadiq Yusuf, I like. Who is uh, Benitez? Benitez is very good. Like, yeah. That's that's a, is he, uh, that's a how good many price UFC fights does he have? I, I mean, I think he's ben- got three or four. He's been around for some time. Well, he's yeah, he's got more than that. He's got two, three, four, five, six, seven. So he's got seven fights. His last two wins were against uh, Humberto Bandanai and Jason Knight. Yeah. Lost to Enrique Barzola, lost to Andre Feely. The Jason Knight, bare-knuckle Jason Knight? Yeah, that, that's, that's the bare one. Bare-knuckle Jason Knight. Uh, Yoel and Paolo, huh? Derek Brunson. Ian Heinisch. That, I like that. Yeah, that Heinisch number is not bad one. Minus 175. Brunson's good, too. Brunson, I don't know. I, I mean... I like Brunson, but I just ah, I don't know. I he think just beat Elias, so I mean he's yeah, still but beating I mean, guys that are in the lower rung of the division, yeah, of the rankings at least. Um, let's. I'm thinking I have to do another parlay here. Do you have your? Do you have yours? You want to go? I've got a three leg parlay. We'll see All how right. it goes. But then you're taking up half the fights on your parlay. But I can use the same one. It's a it's a plus five hundred though. It's like not not big chalk. So plus uh, five hundred. Manny Bermudez. Yoel Romero, Sabina Mazzo, plus 509. It's a big that's one. That's be, your catch-up yeah, time. That's going to be my catch-up. Hey, I'm just going to say it. That was my downfall last year. I kept doing these big parlays, so keep doing those big parlays. That's how I lost I'm last just year. confident in these three fights. Like, I just think okay. that they're, they're lined improperly. Sabina Mazzo, particularly as a dog against Shanna Dobson, is weird to me. Hmm, this is uh, this is tough. Maybe I'll just switch to Sabina Mazzo. Like, I like her at plus 110, but I also really like those other two prices. I'm going to go with Ian Heinish. Just minus 175? Minus 175. I want to see if I want to parlay him with someone. I do. I, I kind of like Yoel, too. I kind of like Yoel. I, I, to me, I can't pick a, a winner for Date and Pettis. I, I, no, I just, I'm I. trying to think of it. I can't think I can't who I want that. a winner. DC and, and Stipe, I, I initially like, oh, yeah, DC. Then I'm like, ah, I don't know. I can't, I can't even pick a winner on that one. Ooh, yeah. Let's do it. I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna add Yoel on mine. You're Am I allowed Yoel. to do yeah, that? Sure. Are we allowed to yeah, have the same yeah, one? Yeah, we're not having the same pick as a okay. parlay, right? So That's why I like the Heinish. Yeah, Heinish, I'll do Heinish and with, Romero uh, plus Romero. 162. Yeah, I think that uh, high level experience of uh, Romero's uh, gonna give uh, Costa some problems. All right, I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add this. So you have Heinish. Uh, mine's not gonna be great, but Flash Romero. And I, uh, yeah. What did I say? It was plus 162? Plus 162. That's a crappy pay. That's yeah, not bad. I'll make what, like 20, 20 bucks off of that? Yeah, you'd make sixteen twenty yeah. plus one sixty two plus your ten back. Um, and then I have Romero, Mazo, and Bermudez. I'm surprised Bermudez is so low. And that's at plus five ten. All right, cool beans. That's our picks for. Uh, UFC two forty two or what sorry two forty one. What about uh, give me a um, a fight to watch outside of the main one, one right. that you think um, the fans would like and I would like to keep an eye on. 
Um, I really like the uh, the Brandon Davis Kyung Ho Kong fight, which is like the second fight on the card. That's going to be a barn burner at 135. If you're just looking for under the radar stuff that you, yeah. that uh, fighters that are kind of coming up, although these guys are kind of established, but yeah, that's the one I would go with. Yeah, and you took Mazel's an underdog, eh? Yeah, that's the surprising yeah. thing against Dobson. Yeah, Dobson didn't look great. Mazel looked terrible in her last fight. That's probably why. But Mazel was like a, a beast when she was in LFA. I just think she had the the um, cage jitters, like the uh, octagon first time octagon jitters. Yeah, and who was um, who was Dobson's last fight? When did Shanna Dobson? She looked. I, good. I think wh- she looked good in her last fight, if I recall. Was it? Um... Anna Dobson. She, no, she, she lost to big... Lauren Lauren Muller, and that was back yes, over Muller a year fight. ago. She was supposed to fight Wu Yanan and then pulled out. Yeah. That was fairly recently. Uh, oh, no, that was the end of last year. So, yeah, so her last fight was a loss to Lauren Muller. I'm surprised that she's a favorite in this fight, honestly. Yeah. Well, good pick. But we'll see how it goes. Anything can happen. Um, so anything else we want to talk about before we uh, we exit? Uh, probably not, because we... Uh, but when we're recording this, there's probably going to be news that has happened that Let's I would have addressed earlier and... in the show. Yeah. All right, Joe. Um, enjoy your week. Thank you, sir. And, uh, you too. Enjoy this card. It's going to be a great one. And uh, all uh, all of the content gathered this week, tsn.ca slash UFC slash video, if you want to see all the interviews um, that will be done. I know we're going to have uh, Daniel Cormier on SportsCenter on Thursday, so check that out. And a lot of features as the week goes on done by Robin Black. Uh, Robin Black on Fight Night, I believe, is going to be here at, for SportsCenter. I'll be down at the event in Anaheim, California at the Honda Center. Uh, you can also go to YouTube.com, look up Joseph Valtellini if you want to learn kickboxing for free. Mm-hmm. Or you can go and do it in person. That's 680 it. Progress 680 Road. 680, come. We're very friendly. Come see Derek at the front, and we, we hook it up. All right. Thanks, Joe. See you soon. We'll see you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.